Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of Demand Gen Visionaries, and today we are joined by special guest, Lynn, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Ian. How are you? It's a great day. Uh, it's a great day here at Caspine Studios, and it's a great day to be recording with you because uh, we are excited to learn all about Acquia and your marketing background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in Demand Gen? Well, I got started in Demand Gen years ago when I had a uh, demand gen role. And at that time I was working for um, a company called Lotus Development, which was acquired by IBM and had a lot to do with uh, demand gen around Lotus Notes, which is a previous product. And I had moved for a while in my career. I had um, various different jobs within marketing for about every 18 months. So I had recently moved over from doing events. I had moved over from doing product marketing. So it was a nice combo then to come into demand gen, which is where the action happens. Indeed, where the uh, where the action take place. So, and and a lot of action is happening these days at Acquia. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Acquia? I sure can. We're the website company, so we're the digital experience company, and we help organizations of all sizes be successful with their web properties. So, we are formed by our basis of our companies from the CMS open source product called Drupal. Our company is founded by the founder of the open source Drupal project. And so we help organizations really be successful with their websites, whether you're a Nestle and you have tens and thousands of brands and therefore thousands and thousands of websites, or we support some of the organizations that may have one-time sites that can't go down, sites like the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the Emmys, the Grammys, um, you name it, typically they're, we're hosted by Acquia to help support those environments. So let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. This is where we go and you can feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. So as CMO of Acquia, what would you say your demand gen strategy is? I'd probably summarize our demand gen strategy by saying what we do for demand gen is all about integrated campaigns. And the one thing I know about demand gen is that it's never a one and done type of task. And so for, for me, demand gen is very much um, you know, an integrated strategy. So it's an integration between how do you segment out your prospects? What's the segments look like? That could be verticals, it could be horizontals. Doing some multi-touch combining advertising, AB, and I mean digital advertising, of course, ABM, and using, sometimes it's using an event strategy as well. So it's really integrated for me. Demand gen is all about everything that falls under that roof to generate demand. And it's multi-touch, it's nurturing campaigns. And it's also, for me now, demand gen is all about using the right tools and using the right tool set to help you figure out how are you going to segment? What should you be going after? What is your messaging? How to double down on what's working and not working? And so much of it is based on data and data analytics. So, so that's kind of the summary of kind of how we do demand gen. And Acquia recently announced to be a Gartner leader, I should say here. So clearly you all are at the very top of the biz. Um, and I'm curious, let's dive into you know who you're selling to. What are those personas? Obviously, you said any size organization uh, that is optimizing their websites. Who buys your product? Yeah, good question. So our product, Aquia, is basically sold to a variety of different verticals. So it's everything from consumer product goods to healthcare, to financial services, to government agencies, uh, 
And it's really a lot of different industries across the board. And typically we sell to two types of personas, a marketing persona and someone that makes a decision about technology for marketers, whether that be their website technology or a personalization tool, for instance, that's worked with the website. So it's someone that may make in marketing that makes the decision around those tools. And we're selling to IT as well. So most of the time when some organization is looking at the installation of their CMS and running their website, it's generally a combination between marketing and IT working together. And so when we think of our personas, it's both. It's both the marketer and the IT. What I'm seeing more and more is that a lot more of the budget responsibility is landing under the CMO on the marketing side. And that's kind of a transition that I've seen happen over the past few years. Where it used to be IT, you know, you used to sit in marketing and throw over the wall to IT and say, would you go build me a site? And then you'd get a site back and it'd be, oh, no, no, but this is wrong because I wanted this, this, and this. And then you'd throw it back over and IT would take two, three months. And I love IT, don't get me wrong. It will take two or three months for IT to then like make those changes. Now it's much more of a collaborative. It's much more the budgets within marketing, the decisions are made within marketing. And it's all those decisions are much more based on what you're trying to do to acquire customers, retain customers and customer service. So, um, so I'm definitely seeing kind of that change happen. You know, we definitely have a, a dual persona, if you will, between marketing and IT. And so when you're selling to, to those two, uh, that kind of dual persona, how do you organize uh, your marketing strategy and your marketing team to acquire those accounts? I have various people in my demand gen team that are focused on different personas. My demand gen team is really split up by how our products, so I have a, what we call Drupal cloud products, and then I have marketing cloud products. And I have in one demand gen team, I have people focused on those different kind of clouds of products. So there's different programs, there's different campaigns, and most of the time, depending on which cloud you're in, that demand gen team covers that demand for that particular cloud. And then I have a demand gen manager who oversees all that to make sure I have consistent messaging, to make sure my brand is being talked about correctly, uh, and to make sure we're having a higher level message about the entire company, not just individual product segments. So it's, it's kind of a tiered structure is the way to think of it. Yeah. And so as people buy in, uh, in that type of structure, I'd imagine that both people obviously have a vote to buy the product. And like you kind of said, someone is, is leading it, but you know, like you said, someone's going to sign the dotted line and increasingly that's going to be, uh, that's marketing for, for some organizations, but what do CIOs want from a website versus what CMOs want from a website? Like, is there a difference in, in what they're looking for and like features and benefits? I do think there's a little bit of a difference. They both want the best customer experience possible. Hopefully that's the shared goal, right? help me have a website that provides the best and the, you know, the, the best experience possible for customers coming to the site. But I think they do want different things. So on the IT side, you know, you, you think about it, much more interested in what's happening for security. Is it secure? Is it scalable? Is it going to meet and combine with other products that we already have in-house that either may be within the marketing tech stack or with outside of the marketing tech stack? Maybe does it integrate with financial products that they have in-house? Does it integrate with the HR system? Does it integrate with a lot of other systems that they may have internally? IT is really focused a lot around that and around, as I said, security and scalability. On the marketing side, it's all about, do I have a great site so that one, I can quickly and effectively put in content? Because it's all about content for the marketers. So 
How quickly can I get content put up on the site? How quickly can I edit that content? What's that experience? Is it flexible? Is it powerful? Again, does it allow me to integrate with all my other analytics tools so I can tell what's happening with on my site on my site? And I can go further than just what a Google, Google Analytics will tell you. And can I tell things about what's happening with the customers? Can I track their journey? Can I see what my conversion rates are? Can I see what I'm capturing for customer data for first party data? So I think those are the things that marketers think about and are concerned about. And, you know, in an ideal world, you get the balance of both. Yeah, I, I think speed is such a key point, right? Is, you know, everybody's website is measured based off speed. Google obviously cares a ton. Like if your website's slow, Google's going to absolutely crush you in uh, in SEO. So that's super critical. And I think, you know, one of the things that, <laughs> I mean, I think of the marketers that we've had on Demand Gen Visionaries, I think, I don't know, probably a fourth or a third of them are in the middle of a website redesign. <laughs> so, I mean, whether you're a new CMO or or a tenured CMO, it's on your to-do list, right? The, the website redesign is on your to-do list. And a lot of that, I mean, really comes down to exactly what you said is speed and agility. And now, and now you see things like personalization. You think see things like conversational marketing, obviously, which we'll talk about later. But you're seeing all these different capabilities added on top of a website. And you sure as heck don't want that to slow everything down. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I, so many of the CMOs that I talk to are either thinking about doing a site refresh you know, or want to do it and don't know how, or are, you know, so many of them are in, either in the process already or in the planning process for it. And the whole, you know, obviously this whole switch to digital during these times has, has really sped that whole process up. So for many people, you know, what they would have had in a six or 12 month project timeframe was moved up to, you know, three to six months. In some cases, I heard people say, my CEO told me, never mind a year from now, it's got to be up and running in three months. That was very, very common and con continues to be now. So what what are Lynn's tips for a website refresh here? I'm sure you get you probably get this question every single day. I do. And and um, and I do have some tips. And actually, I just did it myself. So we did our own refresh of our own Acquia.com, which is my main property, just about six weeks ago now. And so I replatform every 18 months or so. And that's really the kind of the recommendation that I give to people. If you haven't looked at your site, in terms of doing uh, an evaluation on your site in the past, within the past two years, it's time to do it. You know, tell me time to do it now. So I always tell people, you know, think about, it's probably a good time when you go to think about a refresh, think about what your messaging is. If you're going to redo your messaging and look at, you don't have to redo your entire brand, but if you need a messaging update, now's the time to do it. One of the reasons to replatform is because you are doing a messaging update. So think about what you want that messaging to be do a content audit and evaluation because I would bet that 25 to 30% of what's on your current site, you don't need. And it's not the traffic you get anymore. And so do a content evaluation and do an audit and decide what content stays and what content goes and, you know, and do that refresh. Make sure you're working with either a great agency or hire someone internally that's really great at it because a lot now is based on design. Do you have a modern sleek design on your site? And that's really important because all of us are used to the level that now Netflix and Apple and right, that whole experience is, is, is on the corporate side as well. And that's kind of the experience that everybody is expecting now. So you need to make sure that your site is reflective of that, reflective of your brand, reflective of your messaging, uh, and really have it be a great experience for customers. So one of the things that I've been saying a lot lately is what has increased a lot is people that doing their own researching 
So think of it. When you go to buy any product, what are we all doing now? What's the first thing you do? You Google it, right? Or you Google, like, what, what are the products and what research can you do on your own? And so I always suggest to people, make sure that your the flow of your site and the journey is supporting someone who's coming in to do research. And since you may have different personas that come in, make sure that your flow and content flow supports multiple different personas. That's a great point. Um, I think thinking of it like a, like a, uh, a research project is an exact way that we do this. And when it's funny, I mean, to your point about, you know, content being hidden and, and all that sort of stuff, there's lots and lots and lots of places for people to find or to search, hopefully, because you have good search functionality on your site. A lot of the different things that are out there or just, you know, maybe you're trying to rank, rank for certain phrases with your content or, or whatever it is. But man, you just don't need to slap all that stuff on the, on the front of your website and have, you know, banners flying everywhere and, and, uh, and everything. I did an episode not too long ago where we were talking about, uh, you know, common pitfalls and it's like the rotating hero image or the, the slider, whatever it's called. Um, and they were like, if you look at heat mapping, nobody ever clicks over on your hero slider like no nobody so like what are you doing what are you doing putting it there but that's like one of those things i mean how common is that on websites yeah it's pretty common what about personalization this is obviously i think something that every single marketer wants to get better at it's probably on all of our to-do lists for 2021 and 2022 and uh, it feels like now we actually have the technology to be able to start doing this really well yeah absolutely i mean well, first of all, I'll say that I don't really know hardly anyone that thinks they're doing, you know, personalization really, really well. I think everyone thinks they have room for improvement for personalization. And I think it's a daunting task sometimes for marketers because no one ever knows where to start. And so we, we know that personalization definitely pays off. Every study that we have, every study that I see, ones that we've generated, ones that analysts have generated say that if you can personalize content, if you can personalize an experience, you're going to get a better conversion. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, the verdict is in that it works. The question is, how do you do it? So I always recommend, you know, it's not, it's not something unique in terms of this, but a crawl, walk, run approach is really, really something good to look at for personalization. So you start with small wins and you experiment. Maybe you could start with some personalization around segmentation. Maybe it's geographic. Maybe it's a particular market. And so having a personalization product that supports that so you can try little wins um, as you move along in your personalization journey, then eventually, you know, can you get, get your personalization connected to your Salesforce instance? So you're gathering even more data and then you're looking at that from customer perspective, moving into a customer data platform where you're capturing a ton of information about your customers so that you can make those decisions that you need, like what's the best next action? What's the best program I should be doing? Should I be offering them a price promotion? Should I offer them some other kind of program? So the more and more you can kind of do that customer gathering and data gathering, you know, the more, the better information you'll have. And we know that that converts better and ends up being, you know, in the end, it, it pays off in terms of ROI. I think that a lot of marketers, like you said, don't think they're doing personalization well and want to improve it. I would say that one of the pieces that is most challenging is having their data squared away on the back end so that they feel comfortable in the first place to even try, right? 
for those type of organizations who who are trying to kind of figure that piece out, you see personalization, you know, with content, we we do all of these versions of content to try to be, you know, hyper specific to a persona. But then when it comes to delivering that to the person, especially in real time, it's way harder, right? So, you know, how do you help sales kind of get that same level of personalization to provide that, uh, that information and that value to them as quickly as possible? I've always done this in marketing, but we work really closely with the sales teams so that my demand gen team should be in sync and should be locked with our, you know, we have a BDR team, we call them, but our sales development reps, for instance. But I always think that demand gen and that sales function goes hand in hand because the messaging that we're sending out from demand gen should be taken, updated, reinforced by the messaging that's coming directly from sales. And so it's it's an integrated effort. It's a combined effort. That is always the best and most effective way, right? Is when you're having when you're having shared messaging. So your reps aren't off talking about something else that when we're doing general air cover in the market, the customer's hearing something very different from another arm within Acquia. So very much synced up in terms of messaging, a lot around sales enablement and making sure that we're always talking about the same messages around value. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is where you can open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Well, demand gen is always my first. Whenever I get a budget for the year and think about it, I start with demand gen. So I start with what do I need to generate? What do I need to generate for bookings and for revenue? And I back in from there to figure out what are my dollars that I need for demand gen in order to support that? So First and foremost, it's, you know, it's demand gen. That's number one for me. I'm never going to kind of take that away. Second is what I call my digital efforts, which is content, everything to do with my website. It's content, it's production on the site. It's making sure they have the right tools to capture analytics information that's on the site. So that's the second one for me is, is in terms of digital. And the third is our efforts with our partner community. So our partners are really an important part of our business and making sure that we have enough, everything from kind of enablement to joint programs, to go to market solutions together. So I'd say that the partners is kind of the third. So it's, it's you know, the demand gen, my digital marketing budget for, related to the site and partners. It's important for everything, but those are probably my three top that I, that I allocate first. And so double clicking here into, uh, into, into the demand gen bucket there. What's something in demand gen specifically that you've seen over the past year, especially with all the craziness that has worked really well? Well, I think a combination, as I said before, I think an integrated campaigns work the best. So where you have a campaign that has, you know, a digital email component where you're, you know, supplementing that with ABM and with specific advertising and, the, you know, integration, that same story and message that people get through coming to potentially an event, even if it's a virtual event. So having that the full integrated campaign with the same messaging, which is not always easy for marketing, right? But having that same messaging across the board in the integrated campaigns, that's what, what works the best. We have probably the one of our best campaigns that we have going on right now internally, we call it, we call it drinking our own champagne. And it's a campaign that we have, which is, um, and I say this actually externally too, but, you know, because we are... My team is marketers and we do demand gen and I'm in a you know digitally oriented company. And so I use our own products to do demand gen and to run our business. And so it's almost like when I say drinking our own champagne, that's using our own Acquia products to run our business. 
And so we do campaigns on that. Here's how I run our website. Here's how we do demand gen. Here's how we do conversions. And so one of our best campaigns is really talking about what we do and how we do it. Um, and it, it actually is very, it, it's been very rewarding for us because there are other teams who, who want to know just that. How do you do it and how do you tie these tools together? And how do you create an effective marketing team around that? What about one uh, channel or tactic over uh, the past year or so that is not is the most cuttable is is as the one of the ones that you said eh, I don't know if this is for us. Well, we did two switches, right? We did just like the rest of the world, we did the switch from in-person events to virtual events. And so that, you know, I desperately still miss those in-person events for all the obvious reasons. So we did make the switch to virtual and we're doing fine on our virtual events. We're trying all new types of events, you know, with the the wine tastings and the trivia contests and all that. So we've we've made that switch I don't find them as yet as effective as in person, but hopefully they will be over time. So that was one big switch. The other, which I completely cut out, which was kind of depressing to me, was before pandemic in the year previous, we had done a big advertising awareness campaign where we did billboards, physical billboards. We did train takeover, train station takeovers. And we really saw in those geographies where we did those campaigns and we did the advertising, we saw a big uptick in our traffic and in our sales in those areas. So clearly, that's not an area I was going to continue for a bit between we did the the billboards, the um, train station takeovers, and we did some radio. Without people going to work <laughs> and without people driving to work, none of those were applicable right now. Hopefully, we'll get back to them someday, but that was kind of a big a big bucket area that I cut. Yeah, that's interesting that you were doing those, you know, since you're, you know, B2B company and and you have and you're, you know, selling pretty high into the C-suite that, that you'd see an uptick in traffic from those things. How would you look at measuring those? Well, we measured them by um, one is site traffic. So I can tell through personalization, I can tell geography that comes to my site and where they're coming from. And so there was a direct correlation between the cities that we did the advertising in and the traffic that we had coming from the site. And also just in sales inquiries as well. It's another way to track it. And just overall um, awareness of the brand, you know, had gone up and peaked during that time. So I could tell even by my lead volume, if, if you look at those two quarters of period of time over time, I had a big uptake in terms of uh, lead volume for my MQLs during that time. What about something that you want to uh, explore with in, uh, in the coming year? I think there's a lot more to be done with using intent data and using AI and machine learning. So For instance, we ourselves, my own team, we just installed our customer data platform, which gives us a tremendous amount more data than we've ever had before, first party data. And so I think we've got a lot, as marketers, I think we've got a lot of opportunity if we can look at the data, look at intent data. I happen to use Sixth Sense as my tool. If I'm looking at intent data and I'm not waiting, you know, if I'm seeing where people are raising their hands and where the interest already is, that's where I know I can go. So I think intent data and using AI, especially with tools to help you figure out what is your data telling you and what's, you know, as I said, kind of what's the next action to take or the next market to go after or the next segment and kind of watching those boom. So I'm keeping my eye closely on those areas and, um, you know, have challenged my team to make sure that in my marketing operations team, I have enough people to look at the tools and watch the tools and evaluate the data and not just gather the data. But now it's like, okay, you know, we spent the past you know, a couple of years in our industry and marketing gathering the data. Now what? I want people that can help help make the determination of what happens next and how do you use that data. And now I'm finding some really great marketing folks who are geared towards that. And so, 
you know, we're moving from kind of marketing operations to revenue operations, which is really the bottom line. Yeah, that's, you know, we had, we had Latney uh, on, uh, on the podcast a bunch of episodes ago, and she was, you know, talking through a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, that intent data is, is absolutely critical. And you're, you know, you're, you're getting to the point now where, um, what an advantageous position to throw that over the wall to sales when you can explain exactly what's going on. Well, not exactly. You never, never exactly, but with, with much more accuracy, how people are feeling and things like that, rather than, uh, some kind of binary, you know, are they interested? Are they a lead? Yes or no? Stuff like that. Yeah. And the other night, you know, the other nice thing about like, like the sense sense, six sense kind of tool is it's not just like marketing's gathering the data and then passing it off. It's literally like, the sales team is sitting there on the dashboard and they can see. It's definitely a situation where we're in it together and they see immediately they see the benefit from it. Since you think about websites all day, every day, uh, what are your thoughts on conversational marketing? I think conversational marketing is critical. I mean, we're using it a lot right now. I have a plan to use it even more into the future. And I know that kind of by there's various different, you know, conversational tools that are out there, like a qualified or a drift. And we, we use conversational marketing and we use it to really drive our leads. And I expect that to, to continue even more in the future. What is maybe your favorite campaign over the years or one of your favorite campaign over the years? I, I think there's different ones. I love the one that we're in now of drinking our own champagne. I mean, how can you not like that, right? It's just something that people can get rallied around. The entire company watches what we do. Um, it spreads a nice message externally. I mean, I don't go out and say, Hey, we're drinking. Well, sometimes I do drinking our own champagne, but I more, I more talk about, you know, here's what we're doing with our products. And so, and that's really working. I definitely feel like not only are we getting great ROI, but we're, it's an internal feeling of we're all in it together. So that is another just kind of benefit from it because, you know, sets ourselves the same target. We're all in it together We're we can talk about it. Everyone in marketing can talk about it externally. We're used for sales opportunities all the time in terms of what we're doing. It's probably my most fun campaign right now. And it's one that, you know, has been the best. Years ago, I did do a commercial, which was quite fun years and years ago. And so that was my only kind of big kind of claim to fame around there. It ran one time and that was it. But it was fun, fun to create. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your competitors, your sales team or anybody else. Lynn, have you had a famous dust up in your career? No, Ian, my career has been perfectly fine. A hundred percent, all fine. No, uh, no dust ups along the way. Said no one ever, right? Has anyone ever said, said that to you? No, no one has said that to me, but I was, uh, I was always confrontational. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I've had, I think I've had several, I, I think there's probably a couple that are you know, ones for me to kind of think about if there isn't, if there isn't a tight connection between sales and marketing, then you can't be successful. So I've been in an environment before where sales leader and I have not seen eye to eye. That confrontation is not fun. Healthy tension, of course. Are we going to agree on everything? No. Do we ever feed enough, uh, enough quantity of huge, hugely juicy leads to sales? No. But I think there is a lot of great kind of synergy that happens between a great sales and marketing leader and the times where I've had kind of too much friction is when sales and marketing are not not in the same boat, as they say, and not eye to eye. I have had my share of run-ins over the years with IT. And so sometimes I love them and sometimes I hate them. Sometimes they're, you know, PIA. But, um, you know, I always think most of the time it's, you know, finding common ground is kind of the way to get around that. And 
I'm always a big believer in just being, you know, direct and using data. So always use data in your in your argument and what you're coming forward with. And I know my experience is nine times out of ten, a data driven argument works. Yeah, I um I love uh I I mean I host a podcast for CAOs as well. So I, I love IT and I love CAOs and I think um specifically as it relates to marketing, I think there's more intersection than ever. But uh but just like anything, if you have a bad one boy, it gets bad if it gets bad quickly. So we talked about your, your, one of your favorite campaigns, but do you have a campaign that was maybe your, your biggest learning experience? Well, I'd, I'd say two, one is a little bit more general, but learning experience would be around campaigns is I've never been successful or rarely have I been successful in trying a one-off, a campaign that has a one-off component. Let's just do this one mailer. Let's just do this one piece. Let's just put this one message on our site and people will flock. Let's just do this two email campaign and that will be enough. Rarely does that work is my experience. That's why I'm always a big believer in the kind of the integrated campaign. So I would say that's probably my biggest thing is like, don't, it doesn't work. One-offs rarely work like that in my experience anyway, in, in terms of in my career. I think one example of a campaign I probably never should have done was when I went out with a campaign for a product that wasn't yet released. Oh yeah. We were so close. We were all so close. Yeah. I thought it was going to be fine. And um, not only was it too early and then of course the product gets delayed, but I went out with a code name and at the time we didn't do enough of our research around, uh, you know, what is the product name mean in other languages? Oh no. So it was kind of a, yeah, it was a double whammy, a double whammy of the product did not come out. So, well, the product didn't even come to light, actually. So anyway, so I'd say one, <laughs> make sure that you know the product. If it's not right there in hand, it's right around the corner um, and that you have verification that's right around the corner. And always, you know, be careful of your naming and branding. Great lessons, though. I'm glad I asked. I think that that is a, that is a classic, you know, marketing versus product kind of situation where products is like, yeah, it will be, it will be, it will be. And you're like, I've coordinated all these media buys. There's no going back. We already have the subway takeover. This is, you know, if you don't, if you don't do that. So what do you do then? What in that case, what, what, I mean, do you just, can you switch over all that stuff at the last minute and just run some, uh, some of your, you know, your regular, your regular, you know, brand marketing or something like that's what we, that's what I did. Yeah, I did. I swapped, swapped it out at the last minute and it did, uh, regular brand. I pulled up what we already had on the plate. Oh, see you, but yeah, it wasn't that big a mistake. You, you, oh, well. <laughs> you mopped it up. We did. We did. We cleaned it up. Okay. We're going to get into our quick hits here in a second. Um, but before we do, uh, any other, any other thoughts or any other things that you think are particularly relevant for, for 2021 going forward for marketing leaders thinking about demand gen? A couple of things I just say, you know, especially this year, make sure you have a solid digital strategy because this is not the year to fall behind on that digital strategy. And as I said before, if you haven't looked at, you know, redoing your website in the past two years, it's you're behind. You're behind. Take a look. Follow great examples and, you know, focus and put some money and attention towards that. And um, and it is possible, by the way, in doing that effort to even get to get support and important to get support from both your CEO and CFO. So whenever I've done a replatforming, I start with my CFO and I sit down and talk about the business reasons why that needs to be done. And I get buy-in early on in that process. And I don't wait. I don't wait till I'm standing up at an exec meeting when I'm 99% done. I get it very early on and you engage the support of your CEO and CFO early. 
So what's the ROI of, of a website refresh? Because I think that's one of the things that we hear a lot is, you know, the CMO goes in, uh, Hey, I want to change the brand. I want to, you know, add a, you know, change our colors a little bit. I want to change the website, something like that. And then, you know, it's this massive project undertaking. You lose a lot of institutional, you know, uh, capacity. You also lose like some trust to some people who are like, well, I like the old brand and I like the old website or whatever. So what's the ROI? Well, first of all, I always say that, you know, branding is not just about the colors, right? So if you're having a conversation with your execs and they're coming back with a conversation about colors and fonts, you're in the wrong conversation, right? That's that's not it. That's not what it's about. And so I do think that it's very possible about ROI. And now, actually, there's good data. So, for instance, I always have a template I share it with customers. It's a template you can use and figure out, like, you know, if we were to make these changes and get this increase in content, and get increase in conversion, what that would equate to for leads, and then using your current conversion rate in sales, what that would equate to for bookings and for revenue. So you can actually prove an ROI model. Yeah, a couple of the assumptions in the model are definitely that in our assumptions. But if you if you have data in terms of knowing how your lead flow converts, you know that if you can do a better job about filling some of the top of the funnel, that you can have that conversion at the end. So so I think you know showing some ROI is super possible. Well, I've got a million case study examples from customers that do it. Um, and that's really how they get their website project, you know, approved because they can show that ROI over time. And it used to be, you know, there used to be like people would say, oh, when you launch a new site, you, your traffic goes down and you lose this and you lose that. And I'm like, that's not true anymore. Yeah, totally. It's totally not. It's not. I did a, as I said, I did our own site conversion last month and you know, I, since that period of time, from that time last year, I've had a 60% increase in my organic traffic. 60. Wow. So nothing's dropping. It's, you don't have to have that like fear anymore if it drops right away. So what, so what was the reason for the 60% jump? I mean, I'm sure it's many, but. Uh, you know, we did, we, did some re, we did some changing around the content that we had. We did some changing around having um, shorter pieces of content, more extensive content. And then we focused on what I talked about earlier, that researcher. Right. And so to make sure, do we have the right content? Is it easy to get to? Is it quick keystrokes? And do people, can they get to what they want the minute they come into the site? And so I think just by changing that flow, by having more value oriented messaging and supporting that kind of researcher, we were, we were able to see that increase right away and knock on wood. Hopefully that continues. Yeah, seriously. Okay. Let's get into our quick hits. These questions are quick and easy just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website with qualified.com conversational marketing with qualified.com qualified prospects are on your website right now talk to them quickly with qualified.com quick and easy just like these questions lynn are you ready i'm ready again all set excellent number one what is the best thing to do in boston for a one day getaway fenway park i was so close to going once and i somehow didn't get tickets, but I had tickets and it was a rain delay. Yeah, you can't miss it. Definitely. Have you picked up a uh, either either a hobby or a uh, or a New Year's resolution here for 2021? Um, I tried to keep the New Year's resolutions down. I figured just kind of make it into 21 was probably like the best one. <laughs> just uh, make but it in terms of uh, in terms of hobby. Up until wintertime, uh, definitely new hobby for me was gardening because I had never really been around for that. But since I've been home more and uh, working from home, I did pick that up a little bit 
and uh, and I quite enjoyed it. So I'd, I'd say that's a new that was a new hobby for me. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? I would be a lawyer. A lawyer, really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's always what I one of the other things I wanted to do. I don't know. Someday I started going to law school and never finished. So maybe maybe someday I'll go back. But you're so creative. I feel like there's not a lot of creative creativity in law. I don't know. I think it's just I've always had an interest in it. I love the I like kind of the debating part and the storytelling part. And so I don't know what kind of lawyer, but that's probably what I would do. Well, you can you can be the uh, you can be the honorary lawyer of, of Casmine Studios any day you want, because I don't want to go on the other side uh, against you. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. What would be your best piece of advice for a first time CMO trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? Um, I think best piece of advice would be to one, make sure that you're allocating enough resource to it, both people and dollars, and make sure you know who your personas are and what, you know, that you have value-based messaging. If, if you have like a plan, if you have the budget, if you're the right people, it doesn't have to be a lot, but if you're focused, get that demand gen strategy done first and make sure you know what value does your product or service provide, who are you going to provide that to, and make sure you're articulating it in a very clear, non-jargony English way and English language way. And then you can kind of get that message out. So I'd say if you're thinking about your demand gen strategy, focus on those couple of things first. Lynn, that's it. That's all we got for today. It's been awesome having you on the show. For all of all the marketers that are listening, go to Acquia.com, click on the link in the show notes, check it out. If uh, if you haven't made a website or if you haven't fixed your website in the last two years, definitely give Lynn a call. Uh, anything else? Any any thoughts? Anything to plug? Um, I don't think so. I think that's it. Yeah, come check out our new Acquia.com, newly redesigned. And and it is wonderful, might I say. Uh, I love the the side scroll, smooth personalization, enhanced targeting, machine learning, build customer trust. I'm here for it. I love it. Thanks again for for joining us on the show and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. Take care.